Happy New Year. 2020. Yikes. That's awesome. Another decade. I love it. What will this new year hold, man? I am uh, excited for the year, obviously. Really, really stoked. Um, the the burden that, in a good way, God's given me for the church, the, the big church, our church, um, and opportunities we've had, more doors opening up, I'm I'm just I'm just excited for what he's going to do, and I want Sunday when we have our guest from Honduras in here um, to speak to us about what God's doing over over there. That's uh, or down there. That's a it's just exciting to know that we have the ability and, and the, the blessing to, to impact others out, outside of our four walls and outside of our city limits, outside of our country. So it's, it's exciting to see God enlarge our territories. Amen. So I, I would suggest we brace ourselves, as it were, because I'm excited about it. Tonight, um, being the first day of the new year. Um, I want us to shift a little, but not not like it's a hairpin turn. I just want us uh, to continue a thought. Um, we ended 2019 really focusing on prayer. Um, we, we, were, we were heavily in, in, into that. I, I don't want that to slow down. I don't want that to stop. I don't want to miss a beat with that. But what I want to do starting tonight is merge um, during our deep in time, uh, keeping keeping the the emphasis on prayer, but adding an emphasis to God's word to the to the Bible, um, and I th- I think I think when we marry a, a, an accelerated prayer life with an accelerated time of being in the Bible, I think we'd be amazed at what God will reveal, what he'll, what he'll show us, what he'll speak to us. Um, and and it, it'll change the way we pray. It'll change the way we receive. Um, I, you, 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 as a Christ follower, you, 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 you can't get around. You can't get around being in his word. You just can't if you want to grow. Um, you can be a Christian and never read the Bible, but you can't be a good one. I've said many times, you can be a Christian and never enter the doors of a church, but you can't be a good one. Um, and by that, I mean successful in, in the kingdom. Um, obviously, um, those who are hindered uh, physically, uh, you know, I don't mean that. But, but, but if we are able, I believe Hebrews is very clear that we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. So I'm, I'm looking forward to to 2020 um, to see what God does with our little body here. Uh, I'm excited to watch it grow up. But as we look at prayer and the Bible and how they relate, why we should be in it, um, I've entitled this little uh, mini-series, if you will, just Rediscovering the Bible. 
I, I want us to fall in love with this book. Um, not above falling in love with the, with the one who inspired this book, God Almighty, but, but falling in love with this book, hungering for this book, desiring to be in this book. This book is unique. This book is like no other book. Um, and, and, I th- and, I, and what I want to do uh, is, is uh, just encourage us to, to, to be in this book. Again, go for depth, not distance. Um, if, if, you, if you only get through a verse, but that verse motivates you, changes you, speaks to you, uh, convicts you, whatever, um, you, you stop right there and just do whatever God says do. But I, but I want us to I want us to dive deeper into His Word. So find Second Timothy, chapter three. If you're here and you need a Bible, um, you want your own personal Bible, just let uh, the, the good-looking guy in the, in the crow's nest up there uh, let him know. Let Rob know, and um, we'll get you a nice Bible. Um, and it can be yours. You can write in it. You can do whatever you want. Um, if you need one, please, please tell us. That's, that's how much I believe we need to be in it. Um, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let's pray and let's, let's get it on. God, I thank you so much for a new year with new opportunity, new potential new goals, new vision, second chances. God, I thank you that we are able to come together. God, I pray for those who are still traveling or still uh, spending time with family, God, um, before their life starts up again and reality hits. I, I just pray that, God, you just keep them safe and... Um, bring them back to our church family safely. And God, as we start rediscovering this incredible, preserved, eternal book that you left us, God, I would ask that you would just renew a passion and a fire and a desire inside of us to embrace it, to love it, to read it, to devour it, and then to morph ourselves into your requirements, not the other way around, God. May we never twist your word to fit our lifestyle, to fit our desires. Rather, may we, may we be willing to change according to the standards of your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Second Timothy, find chapter 3. When you find chapter 3, drop down to verse 14. We're going to read 14. Uh, we'll just read it to the end. 14, I think, through 17, yeah. Second Timothy 3, 14. Paul writing to this young man, Timothy, who uh, was, was a young preacher. He says these words, but you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. If, if, if you 
If you write in your Bible, underline the word faithful. If, if it's not your Bible, underline it anyway because somebody else needs to see it. Uh, you must remain faithful. That's, that's the key, man. That's the key for success in 2020 is faithfulness. Faithful with your first fruits. Faithful with, with, with your service. Faithful in your love. Faithful in your generosity. You must remain faithful to the things you've been taught. You know they are true. For you know you can trust those who taught you. And that's, that's a heavy weight. That's a heavy weight for teachers. That's a heavy weight for preachers. That's a heavy weight for those who influence. We've got to be trustworthy, amen? You must remain faithful to the things you've been taught. You know they are true because you know you can trust those who taught you. Verse 15, you have been taught the holy scriptures from childhood. and They have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. I'm, I'm going to read 16 again. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. I'll pause before I read the last verse. Um, there, there are no gray areas. There may be some areas you and I don't understand. There, there may be some areas that <clears throat> others have compromised on, thus making it gray. But there cannot be a, 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 a middle ground. There is either right or there is wrong. And if you ever wonder which side you should fall on to stay in step with the Lord, it would be the side that is right, and you know that by being in this book. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what's right. And verse 17, God uses it, that is the word, that is the scriptures, that's the Bible, God uses it to prepare and to equip his people to do every good work, every good work. In other words, every work that you do that has eternal value, every work that you do that is considered good, you, 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 you know how to do that, you get the instruction how to do that, you, 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 you get the wherewithal and the wisdom how to do that through this book, the Bible. So as I said, we, we've, we've been talking about prayer. I want to keep that going. I don't want you to I don't want you to slack that. I, don't want, I, don't, I want you to make that an emphasis, but I want to marry that with the importance and authority of the Bible. It's, it's interesting because we believe in the God of the Bible, yes, one true God. We believe in the God of the Bible. We believe in the Christ of the Bible. The, we believe in that. We believe in him. We, we believe in the plan of salvation that's spelled out in the Bible by many writers. Um, we, we believe in that. If we didn't believe that, we wouldn't believe we were um, saved or regenerated, reborn, whatever your background said. We, we, we believe that, and, and, and we believe the things that are written in the Bible, but, but I fear, uh, fear is not the right word, I'm concerned we, we believe the things that are written. We believe 
God, Christ, salvation. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid we, 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 we don't know how to defend it. We don't know why we believe it. We don't know other than, and not that this is a wrong answer because it's 100% right, other than, than and I've said it many times, I, I, I believe it by faith. And that's, that's so the right answer. But I, I believe that, that, that probably would have worked and been more uh, effective and a more sufficient answer from, from the standpoint of being evangelical 20, 40, 50 years ago, where today we have a culture that they almost, they, they need a little more info than that. Um, we are in the information age. They, they, they want to know the, the whys. And I, and, and I fully understand we don't have all the answers to all the whys. If we did, it wouldn't, there would be no element of faith in there. But, but I, I think we, 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 need to be, we need to be trained, educated on how to defend the reason we do believe this book, word for word. It is inspired. We just read it. It is inspired by God. Um, my daddy, who had a sixth grade education, and I've said this many times from this pulpit, that he, he believed that, that the whole book was from God, from the table of contents to the maps. I, I agree with him. He was a wise man. But everything we believe and everything we desire to become, and, and this is a, it's a big statement, so... So I'd ask you to kind of take notes on this. Everything we believe, everything we say we believe, everything that our actions declare, everything that by faith we will do, everything that our words will change that will speak life into things, everything that our studying will make known everything either stands or falls on the accuracy of this book. In other words, if there's one part of this book that isn't right, then everything we hold dear is in question, which is why I believe it's so important that we dig deeper and understand how this book came to be and, and, and why it is the authority to end all other authorities. It's imperative that we, that we trust this book because we trust the God of this book. It's imperative that we believe this book because we believe the God of this book. But we got to believe, we got to know why we believe what we believe about this book. So I want to take some time um, to talk about the Bible. Um, just in my reading, I, I read, as part of my reading was Second Tim- Timothy, the, the text we read, it, it was part of the reading. And it, it, that's where I kind of felt the weight of, I, I kind of went back in time in my mind of when I was a, a new believer I, I didn't know why I believed what I believed. Or, or better said, I didn't know why I believed what I said I believed. 
Thus, it, I didn't say what I believed with conviction because I didn't know why I believed it. I think a, a, a greater understanding and confidence in this book would have helped me in being confident when I shared what I thought I believed about this book. The Bible's unique. There's no other book like it. Um, it, it, It's the only book of its kind in existence. There are other books that contain religious writings. But I I want to prove tonight, if time allows it, I I want to prove tonight why this book is different. As we go forward, Next Wednesday, maybe the one after that, we'll, we're going to get really deep into Scripture and, and, and verses that are the, the commentary for other verses. But tonight, I want to look at not just verses, but extra biblical facts uh, that, that my study has bore out and not, not any other man's opinion on the subject. But I, I want us to really, I want us to know why this book is different than, again, the, the, the Quran or, or, other, or other religious books, um, collection of books. The Bible is a collection of books. That's all it is. It's, a, it's, it's literally a Bible in an, or, or a library in and of itself because it contains many books. It's unique. Several features point out its uniqueness. Does anybody know how many years it took to write the Bible? Right? You're like, I don't know, I don't care. Uh, I want you to care. I want you to care about these things. It, it's unique in that the Bible was written over a period of 1,500 years. It took 1,500 years for this Bible to be written. So think about, think about the generations that would have spanned that time frame. Think about culture, how it would have changed in that time frame. The Bible was written over a period of 1,500 years. There were over 40 different authors that contributed to this book as God directed. Some folks only had a few verses. Uh, specifically, we'll talk about the book of Psalm, um, that collection of poems and that collection of writings um, and, and songs and just tidbits, if you will, of wisdom. It, it, was, it, it was not all written by David and it was not all written by Solomon. Proverbs was written by Solomon. And, and the majority of Psalms was written by David, King David, uh, the musician. But, but there were also other folks There were worship leaders, uh, uh, other writers of the Bible that made up this number 40. There were kings that that contributed to this Bible. There were military leaders. There were peasants. There were philosophers, fishermen, tax collectors, poets, artists, songwriters, musicians, statesmen, scholars, and even shepherds. Forty different authors make up this book. And the Bible is written in many different places. Uh, 
at many different times. It was written on three continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe, as we know them today. The Bible was written in three different languages. What's the first one? The Old Testament's written in Hebrew, also Greek, and Aramaic. So it was it, three different languages make up this book. Now, obviously, we're holding the English translation of that. And if you've heard me speak very much, whether it be teaching or preaching or just having conversation, you've heard me say that many, many parts of the Hebrew, the Greek, and the Aramaic language, it doesn't translate really well into the English language. That's why I'm thankful for the various translations, and I'm thankful for translations like the Amplified Bible that, that, that you'll see those parenthetical statements in those verses, and, and, that, and what those are are the meanings of the words, because it's hard to find a word that would match. It's kind of like, again, the, the, the example everyone uses is the word love. They would not have said love. They would have used the form of the word love in their language. We only use one word for love, which I think doesn't do love justice. Because, I mean, I love Brooke. And I love Candace. It's a different kind of love which is different than the way I love my beautiful wife, which is different than the way I love Rob, which is different than the way I love my motorcycle. Well, it's real close. A little different, though. It's, we, don't, we don't, the English language doesn't do words justice, and that's why I think it's important. You don't have to be, you don't have to be a, a Greek scholar uh, a Hebrew scholar or Aramaic scholar, but I, I, I do want to encourage you that you should, have, you, sh- you should have available that you can get your hands on either physically or electronically a, a, a Greek dictionary, a Hebrew dictionary, Aramaic dictionary, be, be, because it's important that we understand what it's really saying. The Bible was written with many different literary styles. And, and for instance, if you, if you read some things that Peter wrote and then read Paul's writings, you know it's two different dudes writing that. Now, all inspired by God through his spirit. But what's, what I love about it is the fact that God didn't remove their personalities. I love that. I, I, I do. I, I absolutely love that. I, 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 love, I love that you can tell Solomon in all of his crazy off-the-charts wisdom. You, you read Proverbs. By the way, that's a great reading plan. There's 31 chapters in Proverbs. You read one a day, and you're, you're going to have an increase in wisdom. And, 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 and you have the literary styles of poetry, you have historical narrative, you, you have historians that, that contributed to this book. There's, there's styles like romance. The Song of Solomon is an incredible, I say with all due respect, sexy book. Uh, there, there's the literary style of writing in, in using the language of law. 
that a lawyer would use. Um, there are parables, there's allegories, there's, there's prophecy, there's different literary styles all contained in this incredible book. The Bible also addresses, confronts head-on hundreds of difficult issues that were relevant over 3,000 years ago and it's relevant in January 1, 2020. There's no other book that can do that. There's, there's no other book that at some point doesn't become a dated, irrelevant book. And, and, and with all of those situations and subjects that are extremely difficult and, and hard to navigate, in all of that, there are no contradictions in this book. You, you, there have been books written on the contradictions of this book. But, and I've read them. Not all of them, but I've, I've read books that say here are the contradictions in the Bible. However, when you read those books, you, you realize about two pages in, they're snatching verses out of context. You can't read the Bible out of context. That's why I always say if, if, you're, if, you're, if you're hung up or focusing or God drops you down on a particular verse, read the first part of the chapter or maybe the end of the chapter before because man's the one who broke it down into chapters like one, two, three, four. It was just writings. So, so it's good to be, you know, make sure you're reading it contextually. The, the, the Bible is a book of incredible diversity. All walks of life, different ethnic groups, uh, d- different social groups, uh, f- different um, economic groups, But in spite of all this, it unfolds into one single continuous story. The story rolls on and on and on and on. The Bible has for its main character, God. From beginning to end, the main character of the Bible is God, made known through the person of his son, Jesus Christ. Now, what I love about that fact God is the character of the Bible. He's the main player, man. He's the star of the show, as it were. But, and he's made known to us through this word, through his son, Jesus. But what I love about this is all of those different walks of life, the fisherman and the lawyer and the scholar, and all of those folks in their own way talked about Jesus. And they did it in their way and in their vocabulary. And, 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 and whether they were direct and to the point or incredibly picturesque in, in the way they said things. I, I, I say that to say God can use you to tell the story. He can use me to tell the story. You don't have to have a, a, a what's the, a 4.0. You don't have to have a 4.0 like average in school. Man, I'm so glad for that. Don't ask me what mine was. Don't make me lie to you. (laughs) The main character is God. We got to know that. Everything about this book should point us to God, but it's made known through the person of his son. The Bible is a unique book. Can we agree on that? The Bible is a unique book. Fall in love with it. The Bible is a unique book. But this uniqueness was not accidental. And and I want to... I want to spend the rest of our time together kind of bringing to light how it was purposeful. 
It, it wasn't like God just rolled the divine dice and it's like, wow, this actually turned out awesome. No, it was, it was very intentional, very strategic, very inspired, and very purposeful. It was not accidental. It, 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 and you're like, how can this be? Well, the, the Bible achieves its uniqueness through a process known as inspiration. You see it in our text in verse 16. I'll, let's read it again. It says, all scripture is inspired. Everybody say Inspired inspired by God. That word's a unique word. The word inspired means God breathed. Many of you knew that. Some of you didn't know that. Remember that. Write that down. The word inspired means God breathed. So if God has given his word, delivered it by his very breath, then it stands to reason that the scripture he has given us is absolutely 100% perfect because he is absolutely 100% perfect and he holds all knowledge and all wisdom and if this book is God-breathed through men, then it holds all wisdom and all knowledge and the answers. It's unique. So how can we be sure that, 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 that our Bibles are genuinely inspired by God? Because there would be many that would say, as my father did. You've heard me tell my father's testimony. My daddy, before he was saved, what he said to the preacher that was sitting across from us was, for all I know, the Dayton Daily News, which was a newspaper uh, when, I, when I was a kid, the Dayton Daily News wrote the Bible. Dad wrote it off. Dad did not realize, did not think, did not consider this book to be inspired or even a book of uh, uh, religious writings, so to speak. He just thought men put it together to manipulate other men until he met Jesus. Jesus has a way of changing your perspective, amen. And the bottom line is, yes, it all comes down to faith. But our, our faith can also rest not just in the fact that God personally breathed his word through man, thus producing the scriptures, but that his word will stand up to several important tests that will test its perfection. Let's look at a couple. If you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, it passes the historical archaeological test. Say, Jeff, what, what, what do you mean by that? Well, I'm glad you asked because for years, people laughed at Bible believers like you and I that believe this book because the Bible referred to places, people, events that had no place in recorded history. In other words, it would, it would talk about a, a city or, or, or a mountain or, or whatever, and a community. And, and, and since it had not been recorded outside of this book, people wrote it off. However, God's allowed the archaeology, uh, the archaeology, say it again, the archaeological um, <clears throat> movements of uh, the, the men and women who are into that thing, he has guided their shovels, if you will, to uncover many, 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 many uh, ancient not just artifacts, but proof that confirm the factual nature of the word of God. Not a single piece of, this is important. I'm not trying to show you how much I studied. I'm trying to show you that you can trust this book. Please hear that. Not a single piece of evidence 
Not one, not one, not a single piece of evidence has ever surfaced that contradicts the Bible in terms of history. Consider these discoveries. For years, uh, in Genesis, we're introduced to a place called the city of Ur, U-R. Abraham was the main character in that story. Or, 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 or in that chapter, in that, in that book. So for years, men said a place called Ur of the Chaldeans never existed. Well, it, it was uncovered. You, you, can, you can Google that, and you can, you can see the pictures. You can see where this city was finally found. The historic, uh, the, the history rather citing uh, of Joseph's rule in Egypt was confirmed by a tablet that not too long ago was found in the city of Yemen, Y-E-M-E-N. And it seems, and, and what they found was a, a clay tablet was found in a tomb of, a, of a, a very rich woman, which by the way would have been rare in that day, but it was found in a tomb of a rich woman who records her efforts to buy grain from a man named Joseph in a city called Egypt during a famine. That was in her collection of her own journal or diary, if you will. And they uncovered that. Jeremiah, my favorite prophet in the Bible, he had someone at his side that wrote for him, I need that. Um, As God would speak to him and, and reveal things to him, he would... He would say him, he would do him, and, and he had a scribe. The guy's name was Baruch, B-A-R-U-C-H. It's in your Bible. And, and, and he had a seal. He had authority enough that he had a seal that whenever Jeremiah would, would, would release a prophecy or whatever, when, 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 when that would happen, when he would write something or give a prophecy, Baruch would put a seal on it once he, once he wrote it down. Well, that, 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 that seal was found, that, that seal that would seal those prophecies, that would, that would validate those prophecies was found. So, whoosh, naysayers need to mark that off their list. Something else, they used to think that Jezebel was a made-up individual in the scriptures that uh, one of the one of the fallacies and and the, the folks who want to say there was contradictions in the bible that have said that that jezebel was was more was more of uh, an allegory or or uh, you know an analogy than it was a, a real person and and yet we have since not we in this room but we folks who do this stuff have found because it was inscribed with her seal, and her seal alone, she was the king's wife. She had her own seal, her own identifier, if you will. Pause. The reason they did that was so if anything happened, they could catch robbers. Like if, like if something came up missing, they had, there was a way that they would put their mark on their stuff, kind of like I do. Different reasons, though. I'm not afraid of being stolen, Candace. I'm just afraid of never getting it back. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> A.K.A. stolen, yeah. Um, recently, Jezebel's makeup saucers. You're like, makeup? 
Yeah, Candace, you'll like this. Um, Jezebel, when I was a kid, when my, my mama would see uh, a woman who was wearing too much makeup, by too much makeup, I mean like you're like three strokes away from being a clown. I'm not talking about the artistic uh, method of applying makeup that, you know, en- enhances things um, in a good way. Uh, she used to call those folks Jezebels. You've probably heard that if you're anywhere near my age. Um, and because we use that term so loosely, that's why people thought it was more of an analogy or a description, more of an adjective, if you will, than it was an actual person. But her makeup saucers, she wore heavy, heavy amounts of makeup. And it was kind of her trademark. And this extra biblically, history, history bears out. It was kind of her thing. She was known for this extravagant makeup. She had makeup artists that would do her up, man. And, and like any, any, any flesh that was exposed, like, I don't care what it was, she even put it on her hands so that there would be no wrinkling or signs of aging, history says. Well, some of her makeup saucers that had her seal on it were discovered. I love this one. In the book of Exodus, chapter 5, and we're not going to read it. I'm just going to tell you so you can read it on your own. In the book of Exodus, chapter 5, verses 6, 7, 13, 16, and 18, it talks about when Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. Pharaoh makes the life for the Israelites held captive so much more difficult, so much harder. Basically, it was a power struggle between Pharaoh and God. He thought it was between Pharaoh and Moses, but it was really between Pharaoh and God. And anytime there's a power struggle between Pharaoh or anybody and God, God wins every time. I can attest to that. I can prove that with my life. So one of the things that Pharaoh did was told the Israelites who were slaves that you still have to make bricks for the buildings I want you to build. You have to increase the volume in which you create these bricks and produce these bricks. And the thing that held the bricks together was hay, straw. That was the component. That was the component that made that work. That made, they can make them faster because the, they would mix the straw in with the bricks and, and they, would, they would retain their shape until they, until they hardened up, until they set up, and then they could use them. This excites me because there were some bricks uncovered in Egypt that were dated around that time, and they were found, and they contained no straw. They were beside bricks that contained straw. So what I'm saying is, is so they would have been erecting a structure, a house, a, 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 a whatever, a, a palace. It could be anything, a, a guard shack. 
They were erecting a structure and they were using the traditional way of the straw mixed with the mud and whatever else was involved. And they were making the bricks to, to make this structure. And then Pharaoh said, no, afraid not. You're not going to be able to use the hay, which is going to increase your work. It's going to be harder on you. You're going to have to go farther out to get other stuff. Um, and, and so these bricks with straw were found with bricks without straw, which was not the way you did bricks except for the Israelites. They were found. And if you read those verses in Exodus, again, Exodus 5, 6, uh, chapter 5, verse 6, 7, 13, 16, and 18, if you'll read that, you'll see where Pharaoh said, make them make more bricks, but no straw was allowed to be used. They uncovered bricks with no straw. In that time frame, in that, in that point of history of the world, it was unheard of. Any bricks that were made, any kind of structure that was built that had bricks in, they all had straw because it was the only way it could stay together. That's a big discovery, church. Finally, it passes the historical and archaeological test because the death of Jesus has been proven to be a historical fact. It's no longer a story Christians tell to make a point. It has been proven that he died. Many do not believe he is Jesus, the Messiah as we know him, but they do believe that a good man who probably was a prophet died. Where they stop is they don't believe he rose from the dead. One day they'll know he rose from the dead. Because they're going to meet him. Yikes. But the death of Jesus has been proven historically. So, so the Bible, this book, this beautiful book, passes the historical, archaeological test. Oh, I love this because I love science. I, I, uh, some Christians are afraid of science. They're like, oh, I don't listen to scientists. No, I love listening to scientists, man, because, because the Bible proves science and science proves the Bible. Don't be afraid of science. Study it. It's a beautiful thing. So, so it passes the scientific test. Uh, many have mocked the Bible, saying that it would be impossible for this or that, or claimed it was inaccurate in the matters of science. However, time and time again, as the world of science advances and technology advances, it, it, once again, the, the Bible is vindicated, if you will, and the accuracy of it and the message of the Bible has been proven by science. Here are some ways. The Bible says the earth is a sphere. For some reason, once again, the subject has come up again for those claiming the earth is flat. Maybe you've read this on Facebook. Um, there are a group of people that's, that are resurrecting this idea that the world was flat, a.k.a. Columbus, 1492 was sent out to, right, keep sailing till you go off the end of the earth. Well, he didn't do that. All he did was just steal land and murder a bunch of people. Is this being taped? I hope so. I don't like injustice of any flavor. And did I use the word taped? Yeah, man, I'm 57 and a half. 
The Bible says the earth is a sphere. You say, Jeff, the Bible doesn't say that. Oh, but it does. The prophet Isaiah said in chapter 40, verse 42, you'll see this on the screen behind me. It is God who sits above the, of the earth. Obviously, the verse goes on. This was proven in the 15th century that the earth, in fact, is round. God knew that because he sits above the circle of it. And, and a circle is, well, round. The Bible says the earth is suspended in space. There are those that do not believe that. I don't understand how you cannot believe that. If you look and see the moon, it's not hanging on a hook. There's not a wire that you can like see if the light hits it just right, like in a bad play, right? No, it's just hanging out there. But yet there are some that say that the earth is not actually suspended in space. Although Job chapter 26 verse 7 says this, and I love this. God stretches out heaven over empty space and hangs the earth upon nothing. Sir Isaac Newton, someone you may have heard of, he discovered this, although Job already did, based upon the inspiration of God. But Newton discovered in 1687 that in fact, and documented, and you can read it, it's, it's historically preserved, that Newton is famous for uncovering the fact that the earth is actually suspended on nothing. Well, Job declared it, so Job wins. The Bible claims the number of stars is innumerable, innumerable. Genesis 15.5 says, <clears throat> God, uh, go to Genesis 15, do I have 15.5? I might not. I'm sorry, dear. I think I was working on that, and that's when I saw. Uh, your Bible in Genesis 15.5, write that address down, Genesis 15.5. Then God brought Abram outside beneath the nighttime sky and told him, this is God talking to Abraham, Ur of the Chaldeans, look up into the heavens and count the stars if you can. Your descendants will be like that. Now get this, too many to count. So what God is telling Abraham is that um, he's claiming that the stars are so, so vast and there are so many that you aren't able to count them. He says that gets God's word. It's in quotes in your Bible, right? Well, history for a long time said that Abraham could have only viewed, and they're pretty specific in their number, 1,200 stars in his day. Now, I don't know why they have to put in his day because the sky's always been. So I don't, I don't know, like, all of a sudden we have more stars or less stars. I don't know. But in his day, he could have only seen 1,200 stars. We know that there are trillion upon trillion upon trillion of numbers of stars in the heaven. Uh, we would call that innumerable. In fact, God said too many to count. And just for the sake of time, uh, the Bible contains rules regarding medicine, diet, sanitation that were thousands of years ahead of their time. I'll stop there. I want to 
begin next week with the fact that the Bible passes the prophecy test. There are literally thousands of prophetic predictions and statements made in the scriptures. And some of these prophecies are pretty incredible. And I want to look at some of the most incredible ones that have already been fulfilled that we read about in this book that again proves the validity of the God-inspired words contained in this library. But I don't want to rush through that. So we'll stop right there. What I'm asking of you, from now until we meet again next Wednesday, well, Sunday, be here Sunday, we're going to rock the joint. But when we revisit this study, I'm going to ask that Make a time. If it's not the morning, I'm totally cool with that because some people aren't morning people. I mean, maybe you got to have like your 12th cup of coffee and then you can maybe like say words. But make a point at some time to have a time where, and I know this is difficult, especially if you got small kids or, or working two jobs or a job that is very, you know, taxing on you, whatever. And I'm sensitive to that. And, and, but I'm asking you, for all of our benefit, take the time to read this word. And what I'm asking of you between now and we meet again in this study is that you... Approach it a little differently. Before you even break the cover of it, before you even do your reading plan, or maybe you, maybe you just do the classic, I'm going to open it up and whatever God says. You do whatever works for you. Um, if you need a, 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 a good uh, a devotional that, that you would use and sit down and it's got one verse and it's got some words by someone much smarter than me that would write that and then maybe a, a, a way you can pray for your day. Let me know. Man, I got a bunch of these things. I'll give you one. I'll give you one. If, it, it might be one that I've already wrote all over. You can have it. I don't care. Uh, but I want you to approach the word differently. Before you crack the cover, be it a devotional or the actual Bible. Just remember what we've talked about. You can trust it. You can trust it. And open the pages expecting, expecting first to find God. You'll find God in these pages. So when you crack it open, look for God. Look for God in whatever you read. And then I'm going to ask you to ask God to show you what it's saying as it pertains to you personally. Because it's a relevant living document. So, so ask God, okay, God, I, I, I see that only you could do this or this is clearly inspired by you because we read that and it's Second Timothy. So God, we know this is from you and you're the author what does this mean to me? What does this mean for me? 
And thirdly, I would just ask that when you open it and begin to read, ask God, what do you want me to do with what I just read? It might be make a personal change. It might be encourage someone. It might be an act of kindness, a, a, a random act of generosity that gets you no accolades and no pats on the back. I don't know what it will be. Here's what I know. I know if you go in this book looking for God, wanting to see how it applies to you, and then asking God what you should do with it, he will tell you 100% of the time. Now, if he doesn't tell you right then, I'll give you money-back guarantee that sometime throughout your day, if you will keep that in your mind, in your heart, and hide it away, something's going to play out in your life where that's going to be relevant to you. What you read, you will be able to, oh, God, now I see. Now I get it. I didn't get it when we were spending our time together. I didn't get it then because I didn't need it then. I need it now, and that's all rushing back. I get it, and then thank him for it. Thank him for it. And thank him for this unique book. It has all the answers to every question. Now marry that with the accelerated prayer life. Can you think of any better way to start a daggone year? Me neither. I hope you're all in. I hope you're all in. I know I gave a lot of facts. I gave a lot of data. I want to end with the way we started, with his word. But you must remain faithful. 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17. You must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. Verse 17, God uses this book to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Will you dive in deeper with me into this Bible? Fall in love with it again. Embrace it. Make this year different. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, for a church that stands on this book, a church that will not waver from this book. I thank you, Father, for a church family that leans on this book, that hides this word in their heart. And my prayer for this year is that when our prayer life catches fire and our hunger and thirst for your word is insatiable, God, that is a recipe for revival, signs, wonders, and miracles. May we get so caught up in your word that we lose time, that suddenly Social media doesn't excite us or interest us any longer. That time is spent digging in your word, being encouraged by your word. Lord, I pray that when we 
read and, and, and uncover a nugget in your word. Even if we don't fully understand yet, I pray that as we go about our day, bring back to memory that which we have read. Bring back to memory the incredible words that we extracted from the pages of this eternal book and make it relevant in our lives today. That's our prayer. And you will get all the glory in the name of Jesus Christ. We pray these things. Amen and amen. God bless you. Thank you for spending the first day of your new year with us. God bless you. Have a great week. See you Sunday.